The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu and welcome to Friday Night Live with me, uh, Hafi Shaban, on this Friday early early evening or late afternoon on the 21st of June 2019 uh, corresponding to the 17th of Shawal I believe 1414 as usual broadcasting live to uh, uh, across the nation but also broadcasting live from Luton in Spy FM on 105.1 FM and nationally to our sister stations in Sheffield, uh, Peterborough, Derby, uh, Nottingham and internationally you can tune in of course as usual via the Inspire FM app and via the Inspire FM website or of course live Facebook streaming. Uh, in, uh, as always tune in and most importantly uh, join today's discussion, join today's debate, get your voices heard as always your points of view across to our panelists and our listenership and nationally your thoughts and opinions do count so do get in touch if you want to get in touch 01582 01582481822 is the number here in the studio and for those of you that love your SMS and your WhatsApp messages is 0779 0779481822 is the number here for the studio and as always we've got a really packed show this evening normally it's a, cha- a bit of a challenge thinking of what subject matters we should be discussing on Friday Night Live but this week's there's been plenty of stories to cover plenty of stories from Iran right shooting down a US drone apparently and then Donald Trump saying that he cancelled airstrikes within 10 minutes to go uh, to the UK arms sales to Saudi Arabia being unlawful, a court of appeal declares any of these stories we could have covered. We could have covered Sudan with the Pakistani Pakistani uh, rupee has done what no Pakistani player could do. It's almost hit a double century, right? Incredible devaluation of the Pakistan rupee going on. Nearly 200 rupees to a pound. I believe it is 200 rupees to a pound. So a lot of stories making the headlines, but we are leading... We are leading this evening with a uh, with a very sad story, and that was the passing away of Mohammad Morsi on Monday, seventeenth uh, of June. Right, so that's going to be our leading story, and I'm going to be coming on to that shortly. The passing away, the death of Mohammad Morsi uh, in Egypt, which has been making headlines across a lot of the Middle East and the Muslim world. In, indeed, also some of the the Western press, and we're also going to be covering a, a couple of other stories. So that's going to be the leading story for the first hour and then in the second hour we're going to be covering the the conservative leadership race right the conservative leadership race but a, a bizarre twist a curious case of Imam Abdullah Patel right so uh, w- w- what's been going on there we're, we're going to be we're going to be discussing that later and then some local news uh, with the with the local appeal for a, heli, a, a local helipad appeal that we're going to be covering in the last uh, half an hour of the show this evening so jam-packed show as always as I said uh, jam-packed show plenty to discuss and I really want to get your thoughts on some of our leading lead stories uh, this evening before we go into our lead story this evening uh, a very quick announcement of course uh, for our local uh, Lutoners there is an important event happening uh, right from the the home of Inspire FM at Dalla Road Community Center uh, on, re- on the RSC on the RSC legislation currently that's uh, been implemented in in the UK relationships and sex education seminar 
webinar presentation happening this evening 7 p.m. here in the Dallas Road Community Center so those of you that are local make it over to the Dallas Road Community Center for 7 p.m. and hopefully we might be speaking to one of the speakers at that seminar later on this evening who might be popping into the studio but before we do that, we've got a couple of guests already lined up on, 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 the, on the phone. And uh, whilst I was just speaking, we've also had my co-presenter join me. So let me introduce my co-presenter this evening, uh, Brother Zafar. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum And welcome uh, to, uh, to, to, to the studio, mashallah. Jazakallah for, for joining this you. evening. Uh, and I was just saying earlier, plenty of stories making the headlines this week, right? Uh, but of course, we're going to be focusing on, on the main story this evening or this week, which has, of course been the passing away of uh, Muhammad Mursi in Egypt right so just a, a quick quick background for uh, some of our listeners who may not know uh, the, the details but of course Muhammad Mursi was the ousted president of Egypt uh, who of course was the president in, in Egypt for, for, for just I think under a year or just over a year right uh, who died in, in the courtroom aged 67 on Monday right and inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun of course may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive him and grant him jannah uh, and, and there's been mixed reactions from across the community from the international community in the Muslim world and we're going to be covering both of those elements right uh, and I, I want to cover a couple of aspects today this evening in, in the hour what was the legacy of Muhammad Morsi Right? What was? What? Who was he? What? What did he represent? You know. Let Let's do a bit of a, uh, a background in terms of, in terms of Muhammad Morsi and his legacy. Uh, we want to also look at you know the Western you know double standards that have been called out with regards to you know the the removal of Muhammad Morsi from power and then of course the coup d'état and how you know the the Western governments have been in bed with the uh, with Sisi since uh, since you know the, the 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 removal of Muhammad Morsi and of course look at what has changed in Egypt since Muhammad. Morsi, right? And, and the CC, any better or is it exactly the same? Uh, and what next for, for Egypt, right? So those are the couple of areas that I want, I want to focus on. But of course, let, let's go straight into the discussion with our panelists that we've got. We've got uh, Michael Arnold uh, and uh, Michael Page uh, currently on the line, uh, both experts in their own right. So we've got Michael Arnold, who's a research and editor at TRT uh, World Research Center in, uh, in Istanbul. Uh, Michael, can, can you hear me? I can hear you, yeah. Uh, fantastic. Welcome to Friday Night Live. Uh, just before uh, we go into our discussion, we've got a couple of other guests too. We've got Michael Page, uh, if I remember uh, correctly, also from, in fact, the Deputy Director of Middle East and North Africa Division for Human Rights Watch. So I think that's going to be an interesting also conversation uh, with Michael Page. And then we've got Ahmed Hamouda, who's, of course, a correspondent for uh, Islam 21C and who's been writing a number of articles on Muhammad Mursi since his death uh, on, on, on Monday. So let, let's go straight into it. Uh, I, I, I believe we've also got uh, Ahmed Hamouda on, on, on the line. Uh, yeah, I, I believe we have, right? Uh, so, uh, so let me go straight into uh, straight to uh, Ahmed Hamouda. Assalamu alaikum, uh, brother Ahmed Hamouda. Jazakallah for your time. Welcome to Friday Night Live. Now, I, I've seen that you've you've been writing a number of articles since the passing away of Muhammad Mursi, and of course, I've heard opinions for and against, uh, and and there's a plethora of opinions out there. Of course, for you, he was a man who represented struggle, who represented you know justice, and and who was a victim of uh, of uh, of injustice him, himself. T tell us um, more, um, you know, from your perspective, what did Muhammad Mursi? What was his legacy, and and what what did he represent for you and why? 
Mohamed Mursi is the first and last democratically elected president for the Republic of Egypt, or you can say maybe in 7,000 years. Mm. We know that Egypt has an ancient history of uh, tyranny and dictatorship and certain types of, of rulership. Yeah. So really, he was the person who transitioned the country from a military tyranny, military dictatorship, the first president to be elected democratically. He secured more than 13 million popular votes. He, in the year he wrote between 2012 and 2013, he dispensed his duties towards the nation. There were massive economic advancements and progresses in Egypt. Uh, he had a very positive stance when it came to the conflict in Gaza and when it came to Masjid al-Aqsa in Palestine, and all of the issues regionally and nationally right. in the year, despite perpetual protests taking place against him. He was a man, he was a family man. He was a half of, of the Qur'an. His, right. his wife is a great woman, as, as, is, as are his children. All five of them are Safar. He's a man with a legacy and political engagement, even from the time of Hosni Mubarak. And he's a man who stood for his principles and for justice and for truth. Right. And he maintained this position until Allah took him and so my condolences are to the Muslim world in the UK and the whole, uh, to, to the whole world who really were very hurt by right. the death of, of Muhammad Mursi. But at the same time, we are pleased and happy that Allah has chosen what is better for him. Right. As the Prophet wasallam, he says, you are the witnesses for God on earth. And we as Muslims collectively have witnessed for the truthful, truthfulness of this man, his justice. Right. All right. So, we some, ask Allah to accept him as a martyr. Right. So, 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 some, some very, uh, you know, uh, uh, high and and uh, positive words with regards to Muhammad Mursi. I appreciate that. Okay. I've, I've got Mike and Arnold also on 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 the on the on the line, and you're of course the research and, and editor uh, at TRT World Research Center, based out in Istanbul. I mean, Istanbul again. The reaction from Istanbul has been w- w- a very positive with regards to Muhammad Mursi. W- w- what has the what's been the reaction from the, from the public uh, in in Turkey, uh, Michael, and, and what's your what what are your thoughts with regards to uh, what what we've seen over the, over the course of this week? Well, yeah, I mean, I think the the reaction, the public reaction in Turkey has been uh, has been quite amazing to to watch. Actually, um, I mean, of course, there were the funeral prayers that were held uh, across the country in every city. Actually, every municipality held uh, funeral prayers for uh, for the former president. Uh, and generally, I mean, going around talking to people on the street here, I mean, people, the word uh, shahid, which of course is shahid in Arabic, is yeah. on the uh, tongues of uh, many people, and even many sort of, let's say, less, uh, less religious people as well. So it's mm-hmm. been interesting to see, uh, uh, you know, the level of positive reaction to uh, Mohammed Morsi, and of course the, uh, uh, you know, the sort of the sadness that, that comes along, not only uh, with his death, of course, but with uh, all the, uh, the aspects that it brings up in terms of, Mm. You know the the chance that Egypt may have had, and what it could have been, uh, and then what it what it has become, unfortunately, in the last uh, several years. Yeah, uh, I mean, do, do you think some of the reasons for that are, are, are the fact that we've seen, uh, you know, the repression of, uh, you know, in Egypt against, of course, the Ikhwan. We've seen the repression of the last six years with regards to Mohammed Morsi, you know, in prison uh, since, you know, for the last six years. Uh, and, and we've seen generally the Gulf states distance themselves, they in fact, declare Ikhwan as terrorist organizations, right? Uh, and then on the opposite, we've seen Turkey, you know, lending more of a support. So is that sympathy, you know, you, you, you know, political? Politically motivated, or you know, in terms of unexpected, in terms of from the Turkish populace, in terms of what they've seen, uh, you know, happen against the Ikhwan in in Egypt. 
Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's multiple levels for that, of course. I mean, there's the whole issue around the Ikhwan is uh, you find a variety of opinions, uh, you know, across the region. Uh, but I think what, what uh, has been really interesting with this is that uh, not only in Turkey, but across uh, much of the Muslim world, is that uh, even people who are, let's say, not, uh, you know, Ikhwan supporters, or or may have even may are even critics of of the the group's ideas, uh, have have really come out and and spoken against uh, what happened to to Morsi and particularly his death as as being an injustice. So I think yeah. you know what what's really interesting in that regard too is that despite the uh, you know large sums of money that uh, you know the Gulf states and and Egypt of course have spent in in uh, public relations uh, and and demonizing the Ikhwan and groups. That maybe are not actually Ikhwan, but they associate or they are made to be with them. That you have, uh, you know, the amount of people that you do have who are are clearly saying and clearly see this as, as an injustice. Of course, mm-hmm. there's, there's the geopolitical elements as well in Turkey here, right? So, yes, I think that there's a genuine sentiment amongst the population, uh, and there seems to be a very genuine sentiment even from the Turkish president. But of course. Uh, Turkey is is currently, you know, locked in, in there's a certain degree of regional competition that's going on, right? You have Turkey and Qatar on the one hand who have been supporting uh, uh, various movements across the Arab world since the uh, uprisings that began in 2011, and you have uh, Saudi right. and the UAE in particular on the other who have been supporting the, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, the counter-revolutionary push that has been taking place right. uh, through much of the world as well. So there's, right. of course, there's, there's, uh, there's political elements. Yeah. All right. Uh, I don't want to get my Michael's mixed up, but I want to go to, um, to my third guest, right? Michael Page, can you hear me, Michael? Yes, I can. Uh, fantastic, because we've lost you twice, right? So I want to make sure, you know, I get a couple of questions in for you, uh, in, into yourself. So you're obviously the, the, the di- Deputy Director, Middle East and North Africa Division for Human Rights Watch, right? So from a human rights perspective, I mean, Egypt at the making is, uh, Egypt at the moment has is, is been making all of the headlines for the for the precisely wrong reasons, right? But I, I, I wonder where this started. I, I hear the comments with regards to the, the history of Egypt, of course, it's is, is, is been synonymous almost with tyranny and t- tyrannical r- rule for a long time right but to what extent and, and, and I'm focusing on you know Morsi's legacy itself right so Morsi himself whilst being in power there's some of the constitutional reforms that he was trying to drive through uh, for a lot of the commentators were uh, direct, were, were you know a result of almost his downfall at least to some t- commentators where, where do you see the beginning of um, you know the, the decline for, for, for Morsi and his legacy and, and his rule well, I would say that, I mean, there were still rights violations that occurred during kind of Morsi's year in power, yeah. but I don't think it's debatable to to argue that that compared to where we are now in Egypt, yeah. right, in which there is a complete crisis uh, in terms of the extent of the human rights crackdown, yeah. that there was a space for free expression for dissent under Morsi's rule and so and the kind of the kind of point being is that you know that space no longer exists right civil society has been under sustained assault uh, yeah. president of CC has not only consolidated power but but seeks to entrench himself in power with mm. the recent constitutional amendments yeah. right that essentially kind of extend his term and extend military rule mm. uh, but also the fact that uh, that you know Morsi's demise Morsi's death is also broad more broadly kind of symbolic a, a a indicator of what thousands of Egyptians in mainland Egypt in the Sinai face 
in terms of mm. the brutal conditions of lack of medical care, yeah. uh, sometimes death and detention, as Morrissey shows, yeah. uh, mistreatment, torture. And so all of these issues that, yes, during this brief period, there were. I mean, there were both uh, yeah, yeah, sure. of critiques of Morsi and also rights abuses. But unfortunately, you know, from where, where we were in 2012 to 2013, since the Rabah massacre yeah. of uh, 2013, it really has been a further decline into into quite serious abuses that you know Western governments unfortunately continue to support through arms sales, diplomatic, and military support. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that, that Michael. I mean, uh, the, the the news reports that came out of Egypt this week, I mean, just re-emphasize that Morsi buried in the early hours of Tuesday and only his direct family and his lawyer were allowed to even attend the funeral, right? Uh, the Janaza prayer was almost, you know, blanked out from, from uh, the mainstream media. No media coverage of the funeral procession was permitted by the, the coup, uh, you know, the, the regime. And, not, and neither were any of his supporters allowed to participate, right? So that's incredible. Incredible for someone who won 13 million votes in the in the elections, right? Uh, for 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 a complete blackout in terms of his um, uh, his funeral procession. But 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 there you go. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I think we we I, I take the point with regards to the human rights, and I want to come on to that later. But but just so I want I want to wrap up the first part of this discussion, which is around the legacy of Mohammed Morsi itself, because there, there's of course the, the critics that we're going to get Ahmed uh, Hamouda of Morsi, and and they say, well, look, he he had an opportunity, but but, you know, he wasn't any distinctive in terms of his rule. His foreign policy was still, you know, very much you know, in aligned to the American interest. And in fact, some people saying he was very politically naive. Now, what, what, what I'm struggling to understand, right, and help me, chaps, to try to understand this is, you know, he comes into power in June, stroke July, whatever it was. And almost three or four months later, we already have de mass demonstrations on the streets, right? Now, it begs the question, I mean, was he set to was he almost put there only to fail a couple of months later and was it the case that he initially was given the American support and then that American support was pulled away from under his foot what what was going on and 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 what led to you know this this very carefully orchestrated you know departure of mercy from from power right Ahmed Hamouda what's your take on that thanks for the question bro I mean everything through retrospective analysis is is correct yeah. You know, it's very easy to say that he was naive now that he's, uh, he's essentially been murdered. Yes. Uh, but when he was in power, this wasn't uh, uh, put on the table, his naivety wasn't put on the table, nor was his political competence. Right. He has massive political experience, and he, and he stems from a group, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood. Yes. Uh, and by the way, he wasn't part of the Muslim Brotherhood when he, when he uh, uh, put himself up for elections, because that wasn't allowed in the, in the legal system. Uh, but he stems from a group that has been politically engaged in Egypt mm. uh, since since the early 90s. Yes. So, uh, plus, on top of that, he's a scientist who understands uh, international demographics. He's a rocket scientist who 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 understands academia and research. I mean, I mean, there's no uh, doubt some, about some his ac academic uh, achievements, right? But but my point is, four months later, we're seeing mass demonstrations on 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 the streets, right? Now, take Sisi's example, for example, right? The the the, the Egyptian pound is at an all-time low, right? You're almost 22, 23 to a pound. You got the same, but you know, crisis, economic crisis, same kind of social crisis. But you don't see the mass demonstrations on the street. Obvious point that he's, he's obviously a, a tyrannical uh, a ruler. But four months later. With Mohammed Morsi, people mass demonstrations in the street. It's it's an orchestration I, in the background, right? Who what are the who were the powers that were behind all of this? 
uh, amazingly, if you look at the media back in 2012, mm. you would find that much of the liberal media in the West was portraying Morsi as an autocrat, especially after the constitutional mm. changes that were passed yeah. by the Egyptian people. No. Uh, but now, looking at it retrospectively, pe people can probably conclude that he was too laissez-faire. Mm. I mean, one of, one of the main cr uh, criticisms is that he didn't uh, occupy the Ministry of Information, mm. and he left it to the to the same people who used to uh, control it in the time of Hosni Mubarak. Mm. And anybody who's familiar with the Egyptian people, I'm not sure uh, if any of them are listening to us, they'll know that the Egyptian people uh, are very much influenced by the, by the, by the media. Yeah. And until today, the media plays a profound role no. in, uh, in, in, in taking the position of Abdel Fattah Hassisi mm. and taking the position mm. of the, right. of the, of the Kuku government. But yeah. again, I mean, in, in uh, Turkey, uh, nobody can question the competence of the of the democratic parties that preceded the AK party, like yeah. that of the Felicity, like that of Najmuddin Arbakan. These were very politically uh, sound individuals, yes. but they were working against very right. difficult circumstances. L l let me let me go to uh, Mike, uh, Michael Page. Right, Michael Page. Uh, you know, I lost you again, but I've got you back again. Great. So let me get another question to you very quickly. Um, I mean, d does this almost spell the death of democracy in Egypt and the confidence in in democracy across the Muslim world? I mean, this is the second time that it's been experimented. Right. You had Algeria in, in the past. For, for those of us that can remember, now you've got Egypt, and it's just been literally, you know, zero confidence with it. Just been overturned uh, at almost a flick of a finger of the military what's your take on it michael in terms of democracy in the middle east for, for the muslim people and especially the way we see the western hypocrisy towards dictators in in in, in those in those countries well thank you for the for that question i mean first i'd like to say like i think uh uh working for a long time in the region has certainly made me humble to try to make predictions about the future of, of what's happening right. you know in, in the middle east so I'll, I'll start with that yeah and then to add is that you know i i i would say it's that it's that uh from in since 2011 what we have seen is there was a genuine attempt for for you know, Arab world citizens to essentially live in dignity and decency and yeah. want a representative government. Yeah. And that was beaten back in many places by state violence or, as you, as some of the other guests have noted, also, uh, unfortunately, kind of an Arab Gulf funded as well as in case sometimes U.S. or Europe kind of supporting what have been dictatorships uh, for the <coughs> supposed framing of stability, right? right. Stop instability, which, of course, is uh, often a, a callous reason to continue arms sales and to support their political yeah. policies. Um, uh, uh, Michael, I, I have to interject. That, We're going to yes, go into a commercial break in two minutes, so if you, if you can just be as succinct as possible. Wrap up. Yeah. yeah. So, so briefly, is that is that you know we still have the example of Tunisia, which yeah. continues to function, and mm -hmm. I don't think I think to say that Morsi's death is a death knell. I think that is premature and something that dangerous predict when all of the factors that led to people pushing for uh, greater demands for freedom are mm. absolutely still there yeah. and will continue to see people demanding it in places yeah. like Sudan and places yeah. like Algeria yeah. and in the future other countries in the Arab world until they provide actual representative government, yeah. human rights respects. Uh, and social and economic freedom. And with, with regards to Human Rights Watch, right, within Egypt, I mean, I was just watching a video earlier report, 1,300 death sentences, you know, since 2013 in, in Egypt, right, under this military regime, which has got fantastic cordial relationships with, with the Western states. 
I, I, I mean, um, it's incredible, isn't it? On the one hand, purporting you know democracy and purporting human rights, and on the other hand, completely having cordial relationships with the regime, which has 1,300 death sentences to all you know, all, all majority political prisoners. Yeah, I mean the the I mean absolutely. I mean hypocrisy is is certainly a kind of key factor at it. Mm. The kind of argument that you hear from Western governments is is one of two. It's either the stability argument. Look, we need this for stability. We yeah. can't prioritize all of these rights. Or there's another argument saying, look, what can we do? You know, we can only do so much. At the end of the day, Egypt is a sovereign state. They're very right. powerful. They have backing from powerful regional Gulf allies. I think both of those are misleading right. because there's a lot of leverage that places like the U.S. and the U.K. can choose to, to push Absolutely. if they want to. Right. They're just choosing not to do yeah. it. Okay, my, um, um, Michael Page, thank you very much. Human Rights Watch, uh, from Human Rights Watch, thank you very much for joining us this evening and uh, uh, hopefully speak to you uh, sometime later on soon. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you very much. Bye -bye. Right. Uh, okay. M M Michael Arnold and we've got Ahmed Hamouda. I, I don't know if you can actually hold on for a couple of minutes and we can probably continue the conversation. We're going to go into a commercial break. Uh, is, that, is that possible, uh, Ahmed Hamouda and uh, Mike? Yes, and sure, sure. Oh, fantastic, really appreciate it. Okay, folks, uh, listeners, that was um, uh, Michael Page, Michael Arnold and Ahmed Hamouda giving us their thoughts and their opinions on the passing away of Mohamed Mursi this week, earlier this week in Egypt. Uh, this is Friday Night Live and, uh, and you are with me, Hafiz Shaban and Brother Zafar, who's been very quiet. So I'm going to, inshallah, get Brother Zafar into the discussion immediately when we come back from the commercial break. We are going to go into a commercial break and we'll be back, uh, inshallah, in a couple of minutes and we will continue the conversation. Until then, السلام عليكم You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast, making available our popular programs from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back to Friday Night Live with me, Hafi Shaban, and uh, brother Zafar here in the studio. 01582 We want to hear from our good listeners uh, around the country on, on the first story that we're covering uh, here this evening, and that is the passing away of Muhammad Mursi. And we have been discussing the first half an hour what the, the, the legacy of Muhammad Mursi, right? The legacy of Muhammad Mursi and, and, and and who and, and what is Muhammad, uh, Muhammad Morsi for you as an individual? I'd really like to hear from some of, some of our listeners. I mean, I've been speaking to people uh, throughout this throughout this week, and as I said, plethora of, of opinions out there. Of, of course, a lot of people who who firmly see Muhammad Morsi as as someone who stood for justice, principles, and, and Subhanallah, the struggle uh, you know across his you know 60 plus years that he has actively been involved in uh, in in the da'wah uh, or whether in in the political domains right but there's others who are the critics and who have got also their, their opinions so everyone's entitled to their opinions I want to hear from our listeners 01582 481 8 we we still got 
Michael, uh, Arnold and uh, Ahmed Hamouda on the line. So I want to go straight to our, our guests who have been very generous in, in terms of holding on to uh, on, on to the call. Uh, Ahmed Hamouda, um, um, uh, Michael, uh, thank you very much for, for holding on. I just want to go back to uh, Ahmed Hamouda and just uh, with regards to that particular point that I was discussing in terms of the critics of Mohammed Mursi. I know, I know you said in hindsight is is very easy, uh, but in terms of specific policies, right, and especially with regards to you know the the, the Egypt uh, Egypt's relationship with with Israel and the peace treaties that that were there. I mean, for for some people, they, they argue that he was a firm supporter of the Palestinians, but on the other hand, he was also an endorser of of the of the political process and the political uh, treaties that had been signed up between the two countries. How, how do you how do you explain that then? It's a good question, bro, and this, uh, brother, and this is one that is uh, raised by uh, many Muslims who, uh, who I, I argue, see the world like uh, a, a game of Call of Duty, mm. where as soon as you come into a position of power, you can go guns blazing against right. uh, all of your adversaries. It doesn't work this way. I mean, he was overthrown by the military establishment without having severed ties with, with uh, Israel, let alone uh, were he to do this from day one. But, that, but to prove that he was supporting the Palestinian cause are the words of Sheikh Ra'id Sadah, who is the leader of the uh, Islamic movement within what's the so-called the Green Line in Palestine, who said that uh, progress with Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa uh, and its cause was never more significant than when Muhammad Mursi was in power. Add to this, when, when, when Israel launched its offensive on Gaza in November of 2012, Operation Pillar of Cloud, yeah. Mohammed Mursi withdrew his ambassador to Israel, which right. is an unprecedented move. But and only after seven days of the conflict, right. he managed to stop it by sending his prime minister to Gaza whilst the strikes right. were still Ahmed, going on. Ahmed Hamouda, I mean, no one would doubt that he was a supporter. But at the same time, people will cite, for example, you know, his, in his victory speech, right? Uh, that uh, that he would, you know, uh, these are his words that he would uh, Egypt would honor all of the international treaties with reference to the Egypt's uh, treaty with Israel. Also, I've got a quotation here with regards to flooding of those, of some of those critical tunnels, right? That, you know, a lot of the Gaza and, and Palestinians relied upon for, for access for, for the, for the daily business and uh, for their daily, you know, trade and so on and so forth. So I'm, I'm seeing, you know, both sides of the spectrum here, and I see actions of support, but I also see, you know, words and actions in the opposite direction too. I, I agree, yeah. uh, but uh, one one can question the level of his authority as soon as he came into power, let yeah. alone mm. uh, within the first few weeks of, or the first few months. Right. The, the the military of Egypt isn't just within the political establishment as, mm. as people think. Right. It is entrenched in every aspect of Egypt. It owns more than a third of land of, of the Egyptian land. Mm. Uh, at the same time, it is not ready to go mm. to a mm. uh, an immediate conflict with uh, with the Israeli entity. Sure. And and also added to this, it is obligation of a statesman. But before this, it is an obligation of a Muslim to honour the treaties he has made. Right. If it is to the benefit right. of his nation, I mean, right. at, at the end of the day, uh, Mohammed Mursi is responsible. Before he's responsible for the residents, he's responsible for a hundred million Egyptians as well, Muslim and Christian alike. Right. Okay. So he needs to think about their well-being before starting conflicts with others. Right, right, um, uh, Michael Arnold. In terms of your your social circles and, and political circles, I mean, what's been the, the uh, apart from in, within the Turkish, you know, media? I, I can uh, uh, we've already discussed the support for for Morsi, but in in the, in the wider circles, how is the legacy or the, or the one year of rule Muhammad, of Mohammed Morsi being looked at? 
Well, I mean, I think it's obviously, as you you and your guests have been discussing, it's, it's conflicted. And, you know, I think a really key point, uh, and your other guest, uh, Ahmed, has alluded to this, is uh, we're talking about the one year, and one year coming into power uh, in a in a state that is uh, has a very strong uh, deep state uh, system. So not, not necessarily to be sort of... Uh, talking apologetics for Morsi, but I think it's, it's very unknown. We don't know what we may have seen Egypt become, or we don't know what it become. Right. So I think this is a very, it's actually a very difficult point to, to argue. And of course, there's, there's many things we can look back sure. on with hindsight, uh, you know, particularly with just with the, uh, with the Brotherhood movement in general and their ideas and some of the ideas uh, and, uh, and intellectual positions that they adopted right. over the years. And, and I think we, we, you know, we can be and should be critical of those perspectives. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's another point to to sort of lay right. that on 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 Mursi himself, and then just sort of to add to, add to that as well. Mm. Uh, you know, again, aside from the, uh, the the sort of the his particular politics and even the geopolitics, mm. one has to I think question uh, why somebody who was a former president, even once he was removed from power, and uh, you know, essentially all his power was taken away from him, uh, why was he kept in? You know, solitary confinement yeah. and really horrid uh, conditions. You know, I think mm. there's an element of humiliation and revenge that comes into this that yeah. you, know, you don't necessarily find in in, in all other uh, political circumstances when you have people removed from from coups. Often right. they're maybe kept under house arrest or, or different things like yeah, that. Yeah, there sure. was really an effort to to degrade uh, and to make sure that there was no possibility of uh, yeah. you know of, of return, let alone uh, and and any sort of popular support. Sure. So sure. You know, I think that this is. It's a tough, tough discussion to have in terms of his legacy, just because the time was was so short. Sure, absolutely. No, no, I appreciate that. All right, I, I, I want to move forward. I, I, I want to move forward, and, and I've got uh, Dr. Tariq uh, Chirkoi. Hopefully, I've got your name right. Who's a manager of the TRT World Research Center, also on on the on the panel of of guests uh, this evening with me to to, to continue to discuss uh, Mohammed Morsi and Egypt. And I, but I want to I want to move forward. So as we were discussing earlier with the human rights. Watch representative. Tens of thousands of Egyptians have been arrested since 2013. We see many of the Islamists, but also secular activists who are uh, who were behind the earlier uprisings, being thrown into prison. Uh, Mohammed Mursi himself was sentenced to 20 years in prison. I mentioned earlier almost 1,300, you know, death sentences to political, mainly political prisoners have been, uh, you know, meted out by 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 the the so-called judiciary in Egypt, right? Uh, and and CC seems to be firmly in control with with the western backing i mean how do you see uh, you know egypt's you know current context i mean currently if I, if I, if i've got my facts correct uh, you know economically it's not doing very very well at the moment uh, with with uh, the devalued uh, egyptian pound uh, and, and and socially i'm also hearing from um, on on the ground from people out there studying and living in egypt socially cost of living you know it's having it's taking its toll on on on, on the masses right so, so how do you kind of see Egypt's kind of you know impending uh, impending future, and I was going to ask that question to Dr. Tariq, but I think we've lost Dr. Tariq. So let me ask that question to to Michael Arnold. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Egypt right now is in a it's a in very difficult uh, situation mm. um, economically and as well as uh, socially. In many ways, it's uh, uh, it's worse off than it was under the Mubarak regime. Even mm. uh, if we're talking in terms of job creation, uh, opportunities for youth, etc. I mean, there has been some. 
positive outlook by uh, you know by economists who have said that Egypt is in line for for growth this year, and that may be possible. Mm. Um, but you know, I think these things, uh, when you have regimes like this and the way that they operate, mm. uh, this becomes something that's un- that's uh, it's not a sustainable right. uh, pathway because one, as we see, we've seen it in Algeria and we've seen it in other places. Yeah. Even when there is growth like that, the, yeah. the wealth becomes very concentrated, yeah, yeah, especially yeah. in a state that, as your other guest pointed out, is is uh, right. not only the military involved politically, but they own a lot of the major businesses, and so you exactly. know, wealth concentration and and the distribution of wealth is a major right. issue. Right. Okay. Michael uh, Arnold, a research and editor at the TRT World Reaches and in Istanbul. Thank you very much for, for joining us this evening and sharing with us your fantastic expertise on, on this subject matter. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So now, hopefully, we've got uh, Dr. Tariq, uh, who's a manager uh, at the TRT World Research Center. Uh, Dr. Tariq, good evening and, and w- w- welcome to Friday Night Live. Can, can you hear me? Good evening. Uh, Good evening. Thank you for having me. Uh, fantastic. Thank you very much for for joining us. Of course, all right, all right, I've got here that you got a PhD in media and communications studies from uh, Auckland University of Technology. Mashallah, fantastic. Uh, I, I mean, I guess you, you would have been uh, as uh, you would have been following the story this week in terms of the developments in Egypt. I was just my last question. Initially, I was focusing on the legacy, but I'm currently looking at the the current modern day Egypt, right? Under CC, we're looking at the social, yeah. we're looking at the political, we're looking at the economic kind of. You know, struggles of, of Egypt uh, and and the Sisi. We're looking at the political repression. We're looking at the human rights injustices. How how do you see? But at the same time, we see uh, you know comp- complete complicity of of Western states in terms of American funding for 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 Sisi and the Egyptian regime. How how, how do you see the next you know the the, the current climate in, in Egypt and the next year or two years uh, uh, continuing under Sisi, uh, Dr. Tarek? Uh, well, uh, I do think that uh, Egypt is uh, regressing in uh, in all fronts, uh, yeah. at least uh, the economic front. I think now uh, all the the things that Sisi has brought is to transform uh, Egypt into an open air prison. Uh, whatever he uh, this regime and this junta has been doing is to create more prisons for uh, for Egyptians. So right. they have created about 23 prisons since uh, 2012. Right. But in the economic front, they didn't, I mean, all this, this talk about uh, the major, the mega project of Suez that, uh, that Sisi brought in the first year of his, uh, of his reign that is going to be uh, the, the savior of Egypt through this project. This project turned to be a, a complete sham. It's, it's nothing, it has brought nothing to, to the Egyptian economy. Right. So moving forward, Building on this on this data, knowing that the, everything now is becoming so much expensive in Egypt and the, the, mm. the purchasing power of Egyptians has dropped considerably, uh, knowing that there is no uh, no major uh, reforms or economic uh, right. uh, of economic nature are taking place, uh, I can only uh, foresee that the economy is going to go down uh, yeah. as, as it has been the case already in mm. the past few years. Right. The, the, the Egyptian pound has been. They're also uh, losing a lot of its uh, of, of its value. Yes, absolutely. The, the normal Egyptian today cannot buy the the, 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 the all the goods to, to, to right. survive. Right, Doctor Tariq. Let, let, let me. I've got a, a, another guest. Uh, okay, I've got Bell True, who's the Middle East correspondent for the Independent in Cairo. So l- l- let me let me first check that Bell can actually hear me. Uh, hi, hi, Bell. Good evening, and welcome to Friday Night Live. Uh, good evening. Ah, oh, fantastic! Thank you very much for joining us. So you're the independent Middle East correspondent, uh, based in the region, uh, based in the region, and I, and I understand you've been covering the region since the Arab Spring in 2011. Is is that correct? Uh, 
Yeah, I spent seven years in Egypt, and I was there from 2011 to 2018. Right. So, so how how, how do you, uh, you know, how do you interpret the, the events of, of of this week, Mohammed Mohammed Morsi's, uh, you know, death in, in Egypt? What's been the the impact in in the Egyptian society from from the the coverage or the reports that you you've you've read or you've seen yourself, uh, Bell? Uh, and uh, where's the future for uh, for for Egypt? Well, I mean, I think one of the most sort of stark um, things you can take away from the coverage of Mohammed Morsi's death in Egypt is the fact that there wasn't really any. The Egyptian media uh, is heavily controlled by the state. Mm. Um, there were reports that very carefully worded statements were released, basically giving down to the words what should be said on state television and in state, and also in private media newspapers. Yeah. Only made the front page of one publication on TV stations. Um, there was, in fact, an instance where a, a TV pr- uh, presenter ended up reading this, you know, well, well-rehearsed uh, statement that at yeah. the end said, sent from my Samsung device, implying right. that this was actually copy and pasted directly from an email. Yeah. So I think in terms of, like, impact in Egypt, uh, because of the fact that Mohammed Morsi is part of what is now the band of Muslim Brotherhood there, because the whole group was heavily cracked down, because he's been behind bars uh, since 2013, held largely in solitary confinement. None, you know, the, Egyptian, the Egyptian state does not want that to be discussed in the media in any any way within the country. Yeah. Externally, there's been more reaction from places like um, Turkey, where obviously a lot of the yeah. Muslim Brotherhood leaders who are in exile yeah. are, are, are based. Um, but, you know, it was, it was even quite stark um, in, in Gaza. Hamas is obviously, you know, it was an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood in its yeah. origins. Yeah. They barely held the ceremony. So I think really you could say that Mohammed Morsi's death, apart from the fact that human rights groups and, and the UN human rights investigators uh, were shocked, was largely met with a shrug. Mm, mm, uh, absolutely right. So I appreciate that. I've got another guest who's just joined me in in the studio, and I'm just conscious we've got about ten minutes remaining of the, of the show. So I'm going to try to squeeze in a couple of questions and then just ask my guest to keep your 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 answers short and concise. Uh, Brother Basharat, uh, who's a local barrister, great to have you in the in the studio, Brother Basharat. Finally, I was speaking to the studio manager earlier. We've been trying to get you in the studio for for a lot of times, <laughs> and you've never been available. So for, it's a great opportunity. Now I, I understand you you. Of course, address the the, the the passing away of Mohammed Mursi in your Friday sermon today, also, right? So I want to get your your thoughts because earlier I was discussing what was the legacy of Mohammed Mursi. Is he, is he a man, you know, for, for a lot, he was a man of principle, justice, you know, uh, who who stood his ground for others, you know, critics that he didn't quite, you know, uh, deliver on what he what he promised, right, and and so on and so forth. And and where 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 is it, where does Egypt go going going forward? Because this is almost a second experience or. Experience Experiment with democracy, and we've seen democracy thrown out of the window, uh, and people wanting change on, on the ground. But now we see Sisi firmly in charge with, with, uh, with uh, you know, on, on Egypt, with, with, with Egypt, right? So, w- w- what's the road forward for, for Egypt? Two questions, if you can keep that short and sharp. Well, uh, the legacy of Mohammed Morsi is in keeping with those who have ch- challenged tyranny and oppression throughout history, throughout time. Right. The Brotherhood, sincerely, I was in Egypt. In 2011 and 12, so I remember the discussions with people sincerely thought that this was an open, fair and free election where they could come and take control. And their objective was to bring a representative form of government to the people of Egypt. Mm. Uh, Regrettably, many of us uh, saw it. I remember a discussion with my Egyptian friends. I said, I think you'll get a year out of this before I left in 2012 and 
sadly, I was proven right because, mm. unfortunately, this is not anything to do uh, or any aspersion on Muhammad the Mursi because may Allah bless him, forgive him his sins. He sincerely believed in the and trusted the democratic process of Egypt, but mm. Egyptian democracy didn't trust and value him. Mm. And it's no different to other parts of the Middle East. If you take uh, Algeria, 1991-92, yeah. the army cancelled elections. The biggest mandate in history, mm. Le Monde reported 80% plus voted for FIS. Right. In truth, it was over 90% right. of the voting pu- public in Algeria. Again, that's uh, the, in India, you have a similar uprising now. In Morocco, you had the same right. with the Harakat Arif. So when you're looking at the area... Muhammad Mursi's legacy is that the man did not compromise. Mm. You see, I remember when I would come to the airport, there were these huge posters of David Cameron, Nicolas Sarkozy, and Barack Obama. We're with the Egyptian people. We're with the people of Egypt this and is, the revolution. This is in Egypt, is it? This was in 2011 right. and 12, and I was right. to laugh. I said, they're not with the Egyptian people. Right. I said, joke with the cab drivers who are dropping me off. I said, you watch. Yeah. These are the very people that have supported the Egyptian tyranny since the time of Jamal Abdel Nasser and right. before that, colonial Britain and before right. that, France. So, right. regrettably, the outside forces conspired, I say, and yeah. condoned yeah. the overthrow of uh, yeah. Muhammad al-Mursi. Right. All right. So I, I want to go, go back to, to, to Bell, uh, uh, if possible. Bell, I mean, you, you've been following the events in Egypt and, and, and that whole region for, for a very long time. I, I mean, what was your take on, on, on the short-lived legacy of Muhammad Mursi versus, versus Sisi, for example? I mean, I can't see anything different that Muhammad Mursi did. In fact, he did a lot, a lot better for Egypt than Sisi is ever doing. I mean, we just, just take the human rights records for, for example, and, and the complete, you know, authority, authoritarian rule that he's imposed on, on Egypt. But yet, Sisi did, didn't even last, I mean, sorry, uh, Morsi didn't even last three months before mass demonstrations were on, on, on the streets. What, what, what was your, what's your reading into that? Well, I think um, it's difficult to compare the two uh, because, you know, President Abdel Fattah Sisi was a military ruler. Mm. He took uh, power in a coup and he overthrew, oversaw possibly one of the largest killings of armed protesters in modern history. And I was there in the clearing of Rabah, 800 to 1,000 people were killed in a day. Right. So, you know, to, to, to use, you know, his, his reign right. has obviously been an extremely bloody one and it continues to be one that is very, you know, dominated by basically control of freedom. Right. Looking at Mohamed Morsi's legacy, if we take it separate to, to comparing it to, to, to Sisi's, because Sisi's law so far has been a very, very uh, bloody one. If we take Mohamed Morsi's, I think his legacy is going to be a sad and complex one. Right. Uh, he was right. democratically elected, Yes. But I wouldn't say that he was the um, sort of angel that he's being portrayed to be. He was a quiet man. Yeah. Uh, he was not the first choice for the Muslim Brotherhood. They put forward Khairat or Shah first. Right. He was disqualified. He was a, a former MP between 2000 and 2005. Right. Um, he was an engineer. He was largely unknown. In fact, at the time Correct. that he was elected, he was even nicknamed the spare tire because he was the second choice of the Muslim Brotherhood. Right. During his year in power, it was, right. very, it was very difficult. To be completely honest with you, I was there every second of, of uh, and every step of the way. So what you know, he did award himself sweeping power with changes to the constitutional declaration. Right. There was crackdown and violence shown towards protesters from supporters. Yeah. Yeah. His supporters, yeah. Human Rights Watch, put out um, a, a, a report at the time. Right. That said, he was only in power for a year. He couldn't Correct. possibly fix the economy yeah, yeah. because he didn't have enough time. Yeah, so sure, the, sure. the demonstrations that were against him, I believe there was 
and lots of national sentiment that was against the Muslim Brotherhood. But you know, the Tamarod um, uh, uh, protest movement, which means rebellion uh, in English, it did. You know, at first it was spontaneous, and then it did seem to be co-opted. I remember right. Tamarod leaders in press conferences calling for the military to intervene on the day of the 30th of June protest in 2013. Right. Be- unfortunately, Bell, we, we are r- running out of time. I have to interject, unfortunately. But but I really appreciate your time and for, for joining us, and I, and, I, and I would love to speak to you sometimes shortly, uh, so, soon again on, on the show if possible at all. Thank you very much for, for joining no us this evening, uh, Bell. All right. Uh, I, I, I wanted, I, I, we've got about four minutes re- remaining, uh, and, and I just want to uh, fin- try to try to finish off this conversation with with Ahmed Hamouda. Uh, Ahmed Hamouda, Jazakallah for your patience, Akhi, Right for for the last fifteen odd minutes, whilst you've been patiently listening in to what my other panelists have, have been commenting. What, what, what would you? What, how do you summarize uh, the discussion uh, this evening, Ahmed, from from your perspective, and uh, in terms of uh, the future for for Egypt, uh, Akhi? Uh, firstly, I'd, I'd say that uh, we we are agreed that we have lost a very inspirational man yeah. who came uh, to power in very difficult circumstances and who represented a very just cause. That's number one. Yeah. Secondly, the success of a nation cannot be judged entirely on its economic prosperity. Sure. When Mursi came into power, all of the funding and the subsidies that used to come from the Gulf, unfortunately, yeah. came to a halt. Yes. Right. So, so that takes us on to the third point, that a person, so long as the system is in place, it's not about his personality, so long yeah. as the system is in place for people to choose who rules them, yes. that person should be given a chance at least to continue their term. Uh, and I would also add one more point. Yes, very quickly, brother. That, uh, very quickly, that we should try to come away from this discussion on the Muslim Brotherhood and the political or, ide- uh, political or organizational ideologies. The Muslim Brotherhood are of various colors and of political persuasion. Right. right. But one thing they call towards, which all of the Muslim world rejects, is to allow the people to elect. And I agree with your guest, the kind uh, barrister, that in Algeria, the only thing they did was they gave people the choice. Right. But unfortunately, when it comes to the Islamic leaning government, democracy stops at their doors, right. and all of the West stops recognizing the concept right. of democracy Brother Ahmed, I've got, I've got one minute left, and I need to give uh, uh, the barrister uh, uh, brother t- uh, an opportunity to also wrap up. Uh, 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 brother Bashar, uh, last minute you've got of, of the show. Okay, the clock is ticking. Of uh, the first hour, at least. The memory of Muhammad Morsi will be somebody who sacrificed his own position because I spoke to somebody who was in direct contact with mm. when Anne Patterson offered him the choice to be a figurehead ruler she was the ambassador yeah. moved from Islamabad direct to Cairo by right. America and he refused he said I'm not going to resign or become figurehead so in that respect the man sacrificed and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive him and accept his sacrifices yeah. I mean. in terms of the future for Egypt and the Muslim world it's the same as any other state the Muslims want change. Yeah. They desire change. Yeah. But it's, I'll give you an example. It would be rather like elections being run in America yeah. under British supervision in the 1770s. Yeah. Nobody would rec- recognize them as valid. Mm. These are colonial, inspired, installed, supported and suckered governments without exception. Mm. And they will never allow a transition to power which is representative of the sentiments of all of the people, mm. Muslim or non-Muslim, because yeah. it's not an exclusive issue about Muslims. Yeah. And therefore... It is unfinished business, and whoever is listening, we must carry on the struggle. The people of Egypt, Pakistan, Algeria, Sudan, the world over, they deserve to live by their belief, Islam, in their politics, in their economics, in all aspects of their life. And it is not 
for foreign colonial inspired governments to dictate and support people who right. are not representative right. of the masses. Thank, thank you very much, Brother Bashar. Uh, uh, Brother Ahmed Hamouda, Jazakallah, thank you very much for your time uh, this evening right. and for joining us. been very, very kind for you to hold on almost the whole hour you've been with us, right? So, uh, Brother Ahmed Hamouda, Brother Bashar, Jazakallah, and at least you finally made it to the studio. But we'll talk after. We're about to go into a commercial break, inshallah. So when we come back from the commercial break, we'll have a quick wrap-up of the lead story this evening. I want to get, I'm still waiting to hear from Brother Zafar, who's been listening a lot for, for the first hour, inshallah. And then we're going to be continuing to discuss the the, the unlikely result of the conservative uh, leadership contest with, with the <laughs> sacking of the Imam Abdullah Patel. But with that, when we come back, until then, assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Assalamu alaikum, this is Atif Nawaz, and you're listening to an Inspire FM podcast. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back to Friday Night Live with me, Hafiz Shaban, on this uh, Friday, the 21st of June 2019. Broadcasting live from uh, the Inspire FM studios here in Luton on 105.1 FM. 01582481822 is the number here in the studio. Uh, 0779481822. And I'm still waiting to hear from our good listeners. We've had a, a fantastic one hour discussion of Muhammad Mursi's passing away in Egypt uh, what did Mohammed Mursi represent you know impact in, in Egyptian society uh, the, the coup the rule under Sisi and, and a whole host of fantastic mashallah uh, I'm hearing the fantastic team that, that, that has been lined up uh, by, by the by the producers on the show uh, for, for this story uh, so we've had almost four five six guests discussing their perspectives on Mohammed Mursi and Egypt but I would love to hear from our listeners oh, one five eight two four eight one eight double two is the number here in the studio zero triple seven nine four eight one eight double two for your SMS and your WhatsApp messages, right? Uh, subhanallah, I have got Brother Zafar still in the studio with me, mashallah, and we also got very kindly enough, uh, Brother Bashar has uh, dedicated the next hour to the show too. <laughs> I'm only joking. Uh, he got surprises. I, I, I know you're a visiting lecturer, mashallah, tonight, uh, this evening, but it's the first time we've got you in the studio, Brother Bashar, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping we can chain you here and uh, not let you out, but of course you have got a commitment. So uh, maybe another couple of minutes before I, uh, we, we, we let you go, inshallah, from the, from the studio. I want to bring in uh, br- Brother uh, Zafar and get his thoughts but we are going to be moving on to the next story right uh, which is this which which I've, I've, I've coined uh, is the curious case of Imam Abdullah Patel uh, and, and I'll tell you why it's curious in, in a few minutes right but before I do that I want to go to Brother, Brother Zafar Brother Zafar Salaam Alaikum and uh, you, you've been you know intriguingly listening to, to this conversation for the last hour and, I, and I'm sure you know you've been uh, you know following this the, the new story all of this all of this week and, and I'm really you know Eager to get your your, your thoughts. Uh, yeah, alhamdulillah. You had you had obviously you had uh, much better qualified sort of uh, um, people to comment on this than myself. Uh, I'm, I'm an armchair very expert. Hum- very, I'm, very, I'm, very, very humble. I'm an armchair expert. To be honest, but the observations, I guess, anything uh, what, what I can add to it uh, really is, I think, just just uh, um, relaying what's already been said by Bisharat uh, in a sense that I remember those days vividly as well, and I remember the masjid when the, the tanks and bulldozers moved in uh, and people burnt bodies were, were being being sort of uh, uh, effectively pulled out 
uh, and and that kind of gave you the the taste of what was to come and the brutality of, of the the current leadership and it looks like there was no uh, it's not there's no going back effectively they've they've uh, ruled with it with an iron fist but one thing if, if I was to reflect back on on, on Morsi, what, what he could have done differently mm. obviously his legacy is great obviously he's he's given his life for the cause and and I guess you know that you can't ask for more uh, but but if I was to, and, and if there is something to co- to comment about mm. the 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 region, the Muslim region as a whole, uh, I mean, we, there's obviously people who who have vested interests who who are going to be involved and engaged in trying to follow their agendas. But the other thing, the, the thing that we have to remember is is that um, we have to develop as a, as a community, a Muslim community, to be able to accept a difference of opinion. Right, and not immediately drop the bridges and, and say, right, you're the enemy, so therefore I'm going to do whatever the needed right, to to g- carry my agenda. Mm-hmm. And there's an element of laying the ground first, you know, p- preparing the ground and and you know, uh, effectively um, not scaring the opposition. And I think that that's the thing. Uh, with perhaps the Muslim Brotherhood, because there are lots of secularists in Egypt and lots of Christians and a lot of people of uh, you know a non-Islamic faith, basically, who are very scared uh, of Muslim Brotherhood. And I think that the, the thing that could have been done better uh, would have been perhaps to so try and send the softer messages uh, rather than mes- rather than messages of Khalifa on day one, which yeah. I think he, he didn't. But I guess yeah, exactly. there's a lot of people who are giving messages of Khalifa on day one. Uh, he could have laid the ground. He could have assured the people that he's going to you know govern. Just like our our potentially new prime minister is now sending different messages to what who, he's been saying so far, that Bo- he's got Bo- Boris Johnson, poten- yeah. potentially, I'd say, oh. uh, that he's going to be the prime minister for all people. I mean, these kind of oh, messages, really? these, well, these these kind of messages need to be said, and people need to. Well, well, I mean, is, is it really? Well, what's the value of those kind of messages, right? We're going to come onto that as the next story, right? Which is this mysterious, curious case of Imam Abdullah Patel. Now, now, what what was a, a conservative leadership race, right? Turned out to be completely. You know, I was. One of these five candidates to get fired and say, Okay, you've been fired, and then now there's only four. <laughs> but instead, what we have is an imam, you know, Abdullah Patel getting fired for, from his position for, mm. for asking a very, you know, a, 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 you know a, 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 a very constructive question, right? And I was expecting the front runner, former foreign secretary, who's the likely, you know, the likely candidate to become the next prime minister and the leader of the Conservative Party, Boris Johnson, who would have reached out to the Muslim community and perhaps apologized for his offensive rants compared. Muslim women to bank robbers who wear niqabs and letterboxes but instead he, he, t- he informed us that his great-grandfather was a Muslim I, I didn't know that until until those comments or the foreign secretary of state right uh, you know for education and justice Michael Gove he could have apologized for the Trojan hoax fiasco in Birmingham but we didn't get that either you know and, and, and Jeremy Hunt right he could have apologized for his support for the anti-Muslim tweets by Donald by Donald Trump we didn't get either of those and instead the whole focus shift to the this, you know, what I'm going to call a bichara innocent imam, right, who, you know, perhaps a couple of years ago, you know, made some tweets, you know, like a lot of us, you know, retweet and, and share some of these messages. But I've looked at his tweets. And again, it's a case of really, you know, you know, clamping down on any kind of, you know, uh, I would say critical conversation. The BBC said, right, that that uh, this imam's uh, Twitter was de- deactivated. Yeah. He activated it momentarily, yeah. right? 
and, and then he deactivated again. Yeah. Right. So at that, either people who were able to grab his tweets were very quick off the mark, or they had got other ways of grabbing yeah, so, people's so, data. So, so there was this political, there's this yeah. particular organisation that obviously did the expose, right? But I'm going to come on to that. I mean, the whole Newspa- sh- is the newspaper. No, no, it was one, one, of, one of these political. I don't know. Uh, you know. Uh, 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 yeah, so something like that, right? One of these political, uh, uh, you know, uh, magazines, online magazines, whatever it was, right? But I'm gonna, I'm gonna come on to that. But, but my point is that the shift completely changed from, you know, the, the politicians, the leaders, their rants about the Muslim community, you know, the fact that they say words which have an implication upon a community, and 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 the shift was, you know, the, the imam and, and and the few words that he might have said, which were taken out of context, and the, now he's an anti-Semitic, anti-Semitic individual too, right? But I want to go to brother Bashar before I go to Ustad Abu Hanifa who of course coined uh, an article uh, on this particular subject matter uh, brother Bashar I know you have to go so I want to get you some of your thoughts on this particular subject matter you, you must have followed the, the, the conser- US, US the, the UK conservative uh, leadership contest right and and, and the outfall of, of, from, from that in terms of Imam Abdullah Patel what, what, what were your thoughts? I mean the actual questions and answers are a complete damp squib yeah. they were allowed to just rant on and avoid answering the questions put to them yeah. I mean for me the takeaway message is that Sajid Javed who made a girl stateless who was mm. groomed to go out to Syria yeah. Shamima Begum had the audacity to accuse this imam of being the bad guy for tweets which are at the end of the day either you have this idea that people are free to speak if freedom of speech is the gold standard in this society then it yeah. must apply all for one and one for all not selectively mm. the in my opinion the talk about men being predators well statistically most of the rapists are men right that's a fact mm. so what did he say that was wrong there and very often rape takes place when men and women end up alone either on night out or you know if you look at the me too movement hashtag me too movement yeah. for example yeah. look at the horror stories of women budding actresses and so on who were basically overpowered by men and raped or assaulted yeah. so what he's saying and from his viewpoint as an imam he's he takes the view that seclusion between man and woman is dangerous and yeah. here it's not issue of causative yeah. it's correlative mm. there is a correlation in many of the rape cases where man and woman end up alone, yeah. with or without drugs and alcohol, yeah. and uh, rape, not causation, not every single one that ends up, does end up in rape. That's mm. an issue which you have to be clear about. So I don't think but, those but, tweets were at all problematic. No, that, that's fine. That's an, uh, that's a, a, an, an opinion. But, but here, is it, is it a more fundamental of issue of, of actually silencing anyone who actually raises an opinion against, you know, uh, you, you know e- either, e- either Israel and its occupation of Palestine? We're, we're hearing this and I'm seeing this trend consistently. I have a simple take on this. Yeah. At the end of the day, if you do not incite violence, yeah. you do not incite hatred yeah. of other people, yes. whoever you are, then if you're going to have a discussion, nothing is off the table. Mm. Nothing is off the table. Because uh, then it's one rule for one. Yeah. Boris Johnson, you've mentioned, Michael Gove's involved in the Trojan yeah. donkey, Trojan horse hoax yeah. affair. Yeah. You should not be forgotten. This man's mm. book, Celsius 7-7, read it. Yeah. This man, he is a virulently, uh, I'll say, virulent Islamophobe. Mm. People like him. Yeah. And Sajid Javed, my parents were Muslims. And you look, I'm a brown face. I wouldn't say anything dodgy, would I? I mean, these guys were let off the hook. Yeah. Abdullah Patel's become the target Correct. when the three villains yeah. of the yeah. piece uh, were 
there. Yeah. And Rory Stewart, Assalamu alaikum, I used to work for MI5 or 6. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean incre- 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 I don't think quite said that. And Jeremy Hunt, my two kids are Chinese, half yeah. Chinese. Well, look, I, well, what's the relevance of that? Well, it's completely relevant. Right. So my, my point, if I can just finish, is yeah. this, that... The people who should have done all the answering yeah. are now getting the sympathy, right. and the messenger has Ab- been shot. Absolutely, absolutely, t- because t- he's a Muslim. T- totally, t- totally concur. Right. So I, I've got I've got our guest uh, also waiting on the line. So I want to go straight to my guest, uh, Ustad Abu Hanifa. Assalamu alaikum, uh, Ustad Abu Hanifa. Jazakallah Sheikh for joining us. Right. So just an introduction for our listeners. Uh, Abu Hanifa, an educationalist and student of knowledge, mashallah, extensively working on community projects. And of course, you've coined this article in support of Imam uh, Abdullah Patel. Uh, t- tell me, uh, what's, your, what's your take on this whole fiasco and, and the shift of focus from these irresponsible politicians that one may argue, you know, you know, saying what they say and the implications that it has on the community, specifically the Muslim community, versus what Imam Abdullah Patel may have tweeted a couple of years ago, and what the content of that tweet may have been, and how the sh- uh, how the focus has completely shifted to the vetting process on BBC versus what Boris Johnson <laughs> has been saying about the Muslim community and what the implications have been on the Muslim community. Yeah, I mean, I think this goes to the heart of showing how deep the anti-Muslim hatred and bigotry in the Tory party is. And let's not forget, we're not just talking about, um, you know, an MP or just, um, you know, someone who's going to hold office in the Conservative Party. We're talking about the future prime minister of the country who is being let off the hook, who's not now accountable to the Muslim community. And the uh, focus has shifted completely on Imam Abdullah Patel, but what kind of hurts me and disappoints me most is the reaction of our own community. Yeah. Uh, Masjid Omar in Gloucester, um, uh, Al-Ashraf Primary School, you know, they were quick to suspend mm. uh, the Imam pending an investigation. Now, I know full well that a suspension isn't a sanction. It's yeah. not an admission of guilt, but this is the time when mm. really our institutions have to come together and support our leaders when they're being targeted in this way. Yeah. He's done nothing wrong. Let's just, let's just make that clear. He's done nothing wrong. Yeah. There's absolutely nothing uh, which is inflammatory or stirs up hatred in his tweets. Uh, one tweet is, is, is political satire. Yes. That's what British comedy is all about. It's about poking fun at uh, people in power and um, you know bringing uh, a sharp focus to some of the injustices which occurred around the world. That's the essence of British humour. Right. But right. He, you know he, 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 he shared a tweet about Israel relocating in the US. Mm. I mean there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And if there's something wrong with that we have to Speak about the well, we, we, we Jewish academic. Right, right. Okay, okay. So, so we reached out to Masjid Omar. Uh, they weren't available for comment. Neither was Al Ashraf Primary School in Gloucester. But we do have a, a press statement. Uh, so, firstly, from Imam Abdullah Patel. If I, if I, if I speaking to BBC Radio Gloucestershire, Patel refused to apologise, but insisted he has a very good relationship with the Jewish community. Uh, those comments were made four or five years ago, right? And I would also like to clarify the criticism. The criticism 
was about Israel and not a criticism of the Jewish community. Now, how many times have I heard people reiterate that again and again and again? And it seems like it's, 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 it's deaf ears. No one's listening to that. That we are not criticizing the Jewish community. We're criticizing uh, this is a criticism of Israel. It seems like it just, just doesn't wash well with people. On, on the other hand, the statement from the chair of the school board uh, concerning uh, Abdullah Patel said, following some of the comments attributed to Mr. Patel in the media this morning, the trust has decided to spend him from all school duties with immediate effect and the school and the trust do not share the views attributed to him. Like you said, right? I, I, I want to come on to this and I want to bring in Brother Zafar and, and uh, Brother Bashar into it. Was that the right reaction? I mean, for me personally, I mean, I share what Ustad Abu Hanifa is, is saying. I mean, for me, that that's very passive, immediately on the back foot, immediately on the defensive kind of attitude that, you know, and we want to, you know, we, we want to get the, the spotlight away from us as, as quickly as possible. Well, I think um, from a school's perspective, they're, they're there to function as a school mm. uh, and perhaps they're having the resources to deal with the, the flack that they might uh, right. might get. Uh, and I think there's, there's a lot of confusion about what is Semitic anti-Semitism and what yeah. is not. Yeah. Uh, and and there, there is a campaign to to sort of try and associate... Muddy the waters, no, isn't no, it? No, I, no, I try to associate certain aspects of criticism of Israel with anti-Semitism yeah. and also comments like where it says, you know, uh, to move Israel to the United States can be construed as anti-Semitism. Right. And it has been pointed out. I think um, um, Ahmadinejad, I think, mentioned it, right? And I think it, the way it was interpreted was that that what you're implying, the destruction of Israel and right. destruction of Jewish people. Right. So, so I think there, there is a certain amount of fear within the community to say, well, you know, if this is likely to result in some sort of a prosecution or a case, yeah. do we have the resources or the or the, the desire to be involved in that kind right. of thing? I'm not justifying the schools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Right, but we want to we, we want to focus on education and educational kids you. and all that. I, I, I get you, brother Bashar. Of course, I, it's I, good to have you yeah, in the studio. Yeah, I mean, uh, just just one minute, Ustad Abu Hanifa, because we have brother yeah. Bashar, mashallah, who's who's a barrister, a lawyer. I, I don't know exactly. Same I don't know what what areas you specialize in, right? Uh, but but here I I get what brother Zafar is telling me, right? I understand that they, they, they don't want this all this media attention on on them, so they took that strategic decision, if you want to put it in that perspective. But at the same time it, you know it can also be taken as a very passive and a defensive you know you yeah. know response even if if the school had that you know those grounds what about the masjids Right, he's now a member of that community. I'm sure he's a reputable member of that community, an honourable member of that community, and they should be standing by his character, knowing him for whatever period of time they know know him, and say, look, what he said is is, is really not anti-Semitic at all. Well, look, uh, first of all, dealing with this issue of Israel stroke Judaism, yeah, there are many many practicing religious Jews who do not agree with the state of Israel. Yeah, are they anti-Semitic? Mm. No, so. I think to kowtow and bow to people the moment you raise a finger at Israel to say this is anti-Semitic, I don't buy that for one moment. I don't accept it. I think it's completely misconceived. Now, as uh, Abu Hanifa said, satire, comedy, uh, poking fun at people, as long as it's not, as I said, inciting hatred, yeah. accompanied by threats of violence, nothing wrong with it. Mm. So I am not at all troubled by this. Now, the school has to be... The school has a particular job to do, and if it does this proper investigation, due diligence, because there are kids involved, and again, yeah. because of this heightened Islamophobia in this country with yeah. Ofsted yeah. and the various charity and charities commission, etc., yeah. prevent yeah. all of these Stasi-like policies, means that the school's probably overreacting, but it's thinking I need to protect the school. So perhaps I can find some 
some support for their over, uh, what's the word, sensitivity to it. But uh, in principle, they shouldn't. They shouldn't have to do it. Yeah. And the reason is that, to go to come to your main point, the imams, the masajid, the thinkers, where are the people lining up to defend this man? Correct, have yeah. you heard hmm. any of the... When, whenever a Muslim does something stupid, yeah. and yeah. they're all lining up yeah. to condemn. Very good point. Yeah. When the BBC and these right-wing media organizations are attacking a respectable member of the community, mm. uh, we, we may not share his tweets and what have yeah. you, but the point yeah. is he's not done something which is meriting. Yeah. And rather than support him, they've yeah. run away from him and they're attacking him. This is disgraceful. Right. So, so I want to go back to Ustad Abu Hanifa, right? So, I mean, some of the points that were, you know, y- y- that were pointed out in terms of this, this man, he's, he, uh, he upholds certain viewpoints. I mean, these, these are Islamic principles, right? Islamic principles. So now it seems like they have a problem with Islamic principle, with the Sharia. I mean, they, they've, been, they've been flagging that up for a long time, but it, it seems that the threshold is getting lower and lower and lower all the time. Ustad Abu Hanifa, your, your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, I mean... Uh, uh, you know, the, the, the actual issue which was raised about men and women not being uh, alone in seclusion. Now, yeah. he's on social media, he's using certain phraseology which appeals to the youth, yeah. which might be a little bit streetwise. Yeah. But that essential point, if you go to any school, the first thing they'll tell you on day one, don't be alone with the student because of false allegations. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I would be a little bit harsher on the school. It's not simple... Something simple just to suspend someone. Now, that member of staff who's been suspended, they can go to a tribunal. They can actually take the school to court. It's not a simple thing to do. They haven't followed due process. There should have been an investigatory meeting. I mean, there should have been some verification about the um, accusations which have been made in the media. You can't just suspend people based on the Daily Mail and what they say or what the BBC says. You have to go through due process. And this is not just a cleaner in the school, it's a deputy head teacher. Mm. Our institutions really have to be stronger, have to have a bit of backbone. And what they said about we don't share his views is patently not true. These are conservative yeah. Muslim communities with a small c. Yeah. They do believe in supporting the Palestinian people. They do believe that men and women shouldn't be left in seclusion. That's a fundamental Islamic principle. So how can you throw him under the bus? Yeah. We, we agree with those views. They're, they're yeah. mainstream Islamic views. Yeah. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, Ustad Abu Hanifa, right? But but I, I think one thing I think we're probably overlooking is the yeah. fact that, uh, that there is a political element to it, right? Which mm-hmm. was how dare the BBC allow somebody to ask a question like that, right? Okay. And, and, you, and you've got basically the, the media the, the led, by, led by the Evening Standard, I think that's the way I read the story, right. uh, laying a charge against the BBC. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the, the, the 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 message is how dare you allow this person right to to, to get on gone to air and I think yeah. it, was, it was an attack on the BBC and I think yeah. is I think the the reaction that we got from the school is perhaps misdirected because it yeah. wasn't an attack for the obviously they they've picked out you know the the yeah. the potential mis, you know potential sort of misdemeanors or whatever mm-hmm. right, according to to their point of view mm-hmm. uh, but the attack was towards the BBC right. no. but but yeah, yeah, and, and, and yeah just, to be, just to be clear there yeah. was also an attack on a socialist who asked yes. the question it's, yes. as if, yeah. as if, it's as if anybody who shows any political dissent towards yeah. the ruling elite towards the Tory party yeah. they, they have got, they're not entitled to even ask a question 
Yeah, you know, but, uh, not, not, never mind making an accusation, they're not allowed <laughs> to even ask a question. But, it wasn't just the Muslim community, it was yeah. a, a person a who was an activist. And, and also, also more of a fundamental point, uh, yeah. question, which is, we, you know, there's Brexit negotiations going on, right? We're wasting yeah. valuable time, right, on a, on, on effectively, effectively, it's, it's a drama, yeah. right? You've got a, a Tory party elections happening. Mm. The BBC are airing this, uh, but the general public to which this this viewing is directed yeah. at have no say yeah. right in the elections it's the 313 or whatever MPs uh, uh, and, uh, and the whole point what's right. the point uh, agreed, Brother Zafar. Right. I've, I've got about four minutes and I've got three, uh, well, I've got two guests, right? And I've got two questions. Firstly, what, what, is the, what are the lessons learned from this experience? Because this could, this could happen tomorrow in Luton to any, any one of us. I mean, we're all vulnerable and we could be exposed. Oh, you know, this imam and that imam. What are the lessons learned for, for us, for, firstly? And, and secondly, coming back to the conservative leadership and the original question, right? Which was to Boris Johnson and the likes. I mean, they, they dodged those, that question and it's still equally as uh, applicable today. Yeah, yeah, as, as it was before, Brother okay. Bashar. I'll give you my top answer. Firstly, stick to the Kitab and Sunnah, stick to your Islamic principles and political point. Yeah. You should not be spineless and back off when you're challenged. That's mm. a sign of intellectual weakness, it's a sign of lack of courage and cowardice in some ways. Because if you have not done anything wrong, yeah. and the fact that other people don't agree with it, mm. with due respect to whoever disagrees, you're entitled to your opinion. Yeah. I will not change my thoughts. Fair you know, it's like the Groucho Marx idea. If you don't yeah. like these principles, I've got another set. You've got, you got, you got 30 seconds. And the second time. point is very simple. Look, yeah. with regard to the Tory party, it's yeah. uh, the politics as a whole and the right wing are institutionally Islamophobic. Yeah. That's a fact. Yeah. If, th there's no discussion about this. For anybody to try and say what well, is there, you're giving them an opportunity to say, no, there isn't. Mm. Well, there I think, is. I think Get that, rid of it. That point, that right. subject to challenge, because uh, there are people within the Conservative okay, Party fine. who are, uh, we'll, are not we'll necessarily get, uh, hold that view. Uh, that, that's good counter point, uh, Brother Zafar. Uh, Ustad Abu Hanifa, you, you got one minute, uh, Akhi. Yes, I mean, uh, I, I think we, our institutions need to take a long, hard look at themselves. And when our leaders, especially young and up-and-coming leaders like this imam, speak out, make a stand on our behalf, they need to consolidate, they need to reassure, and they need to close ranks and support hmm. these young leaders. Uh, hmm. With regards to the Conservative Party, uh, Sadiq Javed was close to reaching some kind of uh, consensus that there should be an external inquiry into the Tory party and the Islamophobia, anti-Muslim hatred within the Tory party. I mean, we, we need to get back to that. Uh, an external investigation which looks into the institutional Islamophobia and anti-Muslim hatred in the Tory party. All right. All right. Ustad Abu Hanifa, Jazakallah for joining, uh, joining us this evening. I really appreciate your time, Ustad. Jazakallah All right. That was Ustad Abu Hanifa from Islam 21C. Brother Bashar, you're also waving your hand. You're also signing out. But I hope you're not signing out for the next year, Akhi. Inshallah. I want to see you back in the studio, and I'm sure Brother Tariq does. That's the message you gave me earlier. Barakallah Fikum. Inshallah, I will try. All right. Jazakallah Khair. That's Brother Bashar also bailing out. Inshallah. I'm also going to be bailing out soon. I want to attend this event downstairs. Do that. I, I can't You're do the that. presenter. Marshall, you, 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 I, I know you were here last week, Brother Zafar, but inshallah, Tala. Well, I, think, I was jumping it last week and now this week as well. All right, so so this is uh, Friday Night Live with me, uh, Haf Shaban, and, and Brother Zafar here in the studio, inshallah. When we come back, we were discussing a, a more of a local initiative, uh, Inspire FM supporting Helipad Appeal, inshallah, with uh, Sister Rihanna and uh, Abdul Ghafoor, uh, inshallah. We're going to be back after the commercial breaks. Uh, so we're going away for a couple of minutes and we'll be back until then. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.
You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast, making available our popular programs from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. Welcome back. You're listening to Friday Night Live. Uh, this is Zafar Iqbal. Uh, and I am, uh, basically, I am replacing our main presenter, uh, who's got another commitment, inshallah. So, Hafez Shaban is hoping to get away, but I've actually kept him behind, inshallah, just in case. Um, so, we're going to move on to a slightly different topic. Uh, it might have been useful to perhaps uh, give an overview, uh, a summary of the discussions we've had. So, if we get a few moments, we probably will. Mm. Uh, but we want to move on to a slightly different topic, a local topic and local sort of uh, uh, initiative, uh, which has been uh, basically uh, started by uh, our hospital, Luton and Dunstable Hospital. Uh, and they have an urgent appeal, really, for for uh, a helipad, uh, a place where mm. uh, emergency helicopter landings can take place. So I have uh, on the line Brother Abdul Ghafoor, uh, who is actually leading on this initiative. Assalamu alaikum, Brother Abdul Ghafoor. Wa alaikum Jazakallah for, for joining us uh, and talking about this very important initiative. Perhaps you can give us a, a little bit of a background to start off with. Uh, in terms of you know how this has come about and uh, uh, you know w- what the expectation is, I guess, for, from our listeners. Yeah, Jazakallah. So thank you very much for inviting me into the show and for agreeing to to talk about this. It's, um, as you mentioned, it's an initiative that was started by the hospital probably about two and a half years ago now, mm-hmm. after running a, a feasibility study and looking at the importance and the need of a direct landing on the hospital itself. Yeah, The hospital um, is one of the best in the country when it comes to accident emergency facilities. It has actually a 98% um, wow. completion rate of people with being seen within four, within four hours. So it's actually one of the best in the country for its efficiency and the quality of service when it comes to accident emergency. Mm. So they really wanted to build on that and try to get access for a helicopter um, for emergencies. And there are a whole range of different types of emergencies, not just motor accidents, mm-hmm. um, but times at which young and old may require an airlift directly to the hospital so they can get immediate access to accident emergency. Um, so we have been involved, and when I say we, we were introduced to the project by Medina Masjid mm-hmm. on Oak Road, who'd been running a number of fundraisers, yeah. for the hospital and, and raised quite a few thousand pounds um, so fantastic work being done there mm-hmm. and probably about a month or so just before Ramadan we we were introduced to the project and, and the hospital team informed us that they were about a million pounds a million and a half pounds short of their overall target of seven and a half million pounds so they've done wow. some great work at managing to get support to date for the six six and a half million that they've done so far okay. and it was the last million that they were looking for support for mm-hmm. in the coming months up until build towards the end of summer this year sure yeah so so th- this uh, uh, effectively I, I guess um, there is a call out to the community uh, to try and assist with with uh, with coming up with that um, with that final total um, so I, I guess that the question in my mind is is uh, what sort of activities 
uh, are the hospital involved in and in particular, I guess, what sort of engagement the Muslim community is having with them and then what is the Muslim com community expected to do, really? Yeah, so it, it's a big ask and the ask isn't for a million pounds from the Muslim community at all. It's, it's a million pounds from um, sources that haven't already um, been exhausted. So they've managed to get access from a range of grant funds from the local airport as well um, mm -hmm. and a number of other organizations that have supported. They've organized a number of um, fundraisers themselves and been trying for the last two, two and a half years. So this is, there's a lot of legacy to this already. Um, we really wanted to support in this last couple of months, just before Ramadan, we spoke to all of the mosques, so um, Discover Islam, engaged in developing an initiative, a website called hospitalhelipad.org, mm -hmm. um, where we've kicked off a community campaign to try to raise at least £90,000. And, and that 90000 is significant mm -hmm. because every year 90,000 people get seen at the accident emergency. Wow. Um, wow. And we just thought it was, it was uh, such a staggering and significant number. But at the very least, all of us, ourselves, our families and others benefit from the hospital mm. and it's an opportunity for us to give something back to support others in the community. Mm. The helipad itself will actually serve um, the three counties so that's 2.3 million people that will be able to access the hospital helipad here and it's, it, and the, it's based on the closest location for them to be airlifted to. So beyond this they'd be going into Cambridge or further out as well and, and there's a crucial period of time at the point of an accident or an emergency at which you need to really get to the hospital as quickly as possible in order to diminish mm. the likelihood of either disability or perhaps death as well. Mm. So um, there have been a range of activities. Ramadan was a fantastic period. We had a really good support. And even today as well, I know Al-Hira Masjid and Westmore Road Masjid as well were both fundraising at the Jumu'ah collections. It's probably been one of the biggest um, campaigns I've seen supported by all of the mosques across the town. We've had everyone from Hokkur Ring and Lucy on the outskirts of town supporting the initiative, running iftar programs where we invited executives and, and fundraisers from the hospital to come along. We um, obviously, with the great work that you've been doing with Big Iftar in town, the hospital representatives also came along to that. So that we probably, through our efforts, have introduced them to uh, probably two to 3,000 people that have heard about the campaign. Mm -hmm. and, and we're hoping that people can support, however large or small they can, in, in putting something forward to this. Because it's a, it's a fantastic opportunity to build a sadaqa jariya in our own town. Yeah. Oftentimes when we think of sadaqa, it tends to be a well perhaps in a, in a distant land. But this is something, alhamdulillah, that will continue well beyond us. Probably it's such a strategic investment for the hospital and one that serves so many. I'm sure in, a, in two or three generations down, this will only have grown and more and more people will be benefiting from it. Yeah, alhamdulillah. Uh, Brother Abdul Ghafur is Hafiz Shaban. Jazakallah. I'm just to get the website literally as the Brother Zafar was, was speaking to you. Uh, and, and you're right. I mean, in terms of supporters, you know, some in, interesting institutions there. U, UK Quarterly Foundation, man, mashallah. Mm. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, Zakaria, Moscow, and as you say, Medina, Al Hikmah. So it looks like you, you've really got grassroots supports for this initiative. And it's good to see the community coming together for, for, for this quite an, a, a critical local service that's going to at the end of the day be provided to the, to, to the local community so it's, it sounds like a fantastic initiative I mean I, I guess some of our listeners will be th will be thinking about how it actually operate how, how would it actually operate right is, is it one uh, helicopter that the, the, the uh, hospital have uh, and, and they need to service it from this helipad well, what's the kind of process have you, have you got the operational kind of details that you could share with the, with the, with the, with the listeners 
Yeah, the hospital was, was uh, very generous and kind. Uh, when we initiated uh, the campaign, probably just before Ramadan, they invited us along and we probably took 15, 10 to 15 different community representatives from the Turkish community and from the mosque community, from young uh, youth institutions and others as well. Mm. And we had an opportunity to go around and meet all of the different departments at the hospital, including operations and the A&E team. We saw the site, we understood what was going to be taking place. We're not actually paying for this. This funding isn't for a helicopter, per se. The helicopter right. service services are actually provided by East Anglia um, Helicopter Service, and they are generally very, very expensive. So we're fortunate that they already take care of the hospital right. uh, helicopters and airlifting themselves. What this does, it actually builds a bespoke unit that's going to sit directly above accident emergency today. So um, they need to obviously reposition a number of elements that are at the moment located around accident emergency they're going to mm. be shifting some of the wards around and putting trauma units directly below this facility it will be a metal uh, foundation and and it has to be obviously very strong yeah. with three lifts built around it so that yeah. as soon as you land on the roof of the uh, helipad you then be directly transported into either one of the trauma units or injuries units that will be specifically moved around in order to support people coming in in this type of circumstance or directly into A&E. Yeah. Um, and that's a really significant development and, yeah. and a very big investment for all of the three counties to benefit from. So, and mm. uh, it's going to require quite a lot of work. They estimate it's going to take just over a year for the beginning at the end of this summer. And inshallah, by the end of 2020, uh, 2020 they'll have the whole facility up and running. So alhamdulillah, it's a really good time for us to get involved because we're in the last few months before they start the build work. And inshallah, I think we can have a really big impact, not only in providing a service for people across the town and, and across the UK that will benefit from this, but also mm. an opportunity for Muslims to really drive an initiative that, that serves so many and be seen to be driving an initiative. Because alhamdulillah, the Muslim community is very generous, but oftentimes the um, perception is that we only fund things that are abroad. Um, right. Uh, so, so, I mean, on, on that point... Um, uh, I guess there are a number of organizations out there who are doing fundraising, doing lots of activities in support of this uh, activity. But I think uh, the bottom line is, is that, that the, this initiative needs uh, needs money. Uh, and, and how uh, are you actually reaching out to the people to be able to, to actually donate? So um, as part of the hospitalhelipad.org website, we set up a Just Giving page that links directly into the hospital. So all donations are managed and, and directly go to the hospital itself. We have um, organized a number of uh, bucket collections and, and opportunities like the Jum'ah collection today. And the first of them was just before Ramadan, the day before Ramadan at Lutatan Football Club's final home game. Yeah. Um, and uh, met, what, 10,000 odd fans there and had some really good opportunities for people to know about the campaign and then support. Um, there have also been a number of other events where we've supported either by lending our voice or by lending champions that are talking to schools, talking to other organizations, talking to corporations and businesses about the initiative. Um, and then the funds can be directed online, you can do a bank mm. transfer, you can um, donate directly in cash. Uh, all, all the details are on, on the website yeah. you mentioned. Uh, I'm just looking at the website now, Brother Zafar. So, so plenty of information on the website. And as uh, Brother uh, Ag is uh, explaining, 
a lot of information there. How to donate? What are the, some of the kind of activities of uh, getting involved? Right. Uh, so I mean, a great, some great ideas in terms of different initiatives. Uh, what, what, what about the publicity for this? But because I have to, I have to tell you the truth, uh, Ag. It's the first time I've heard about this initiative, uh, and I, I know Brother Zafar Inspire FM is also supporting this initiative. Am, am I correct in saying that? I think so. <laughs> I think so. I mean, the fact that we're discussing it—that's that's a support too. That's but but sometimes we do a bit more in terms of actually than actually. Yeah, I, I think I think from our perspective, uh, I think uh, Ages already mentioned the fact that when we did the uh, um, the big iftar, there, there was actually ah, okay. presence presence there. There's some right, uh, and also when we did the Inspire Eid. Uh, we did invite the helipad uh, organization to have a stall there as well right, right. Uh, and generally i think we're pushing it i think tarek's done a, a few sort of a uh, few messages out in the morning in his rise and shine program okay. Okay. Uh, and i guess we're doing within our capability i guess and within our strengths mm. we're doing what we can inshallah good 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 and ag other publicity in, in terms of the community for for, for this initiative what's what some of the marketing styles that are being used to to get the awareness out there so Alhamdulillah, uh, to the whole Inspire team. Uh, Inspire were one of the stakeholders that were involved in that initial meeting where we had a walk around Brother Tariq attended and, and that was where we gathered a lot of the material. Um, so they are, we were trying to make this as broad-based as possible, as grassroots as possible. Word of mouth is oftentimes um, the most effective. Um, Ramadan, of course, is a great opportunity to amplify that. We're using social media through our own networks and um, various uh, online channels as well. Uh, a really big shout out to the team. Tomorrow we have a, a uh, an inflatable challenge, a 5K challenge. I'm going through gladiator style activities that I know um, young and old are participating in tomorrow. I know Shahid, uh, Kois and Sujel and quite a few of the other um, Team Luton uh, are participating in that. But I've also seen some really young members, 10, 11 years old, that would be doing that. So um, everyone's reaching out to the old networks, and, and I think that has the biggest impact. Did you say the 5K the challenge, is it? It is a 5K inflatable challenge. Inflatable yeah. challenge. So, oh, so what, does that, what does that involve? Does that mean so that you're going to be wearing an inflatable and running 5K, is it? <laughs> no, no. This this actually means, do you remember um, the Gladiators oh, style yes. experience where you, you'd have to do climbs and you have to do jumps and you have to go on oh. things? And, the, ni- the ninja, the ninja warriors type That's thing. That's right, <laughs> ninja oh, warrior. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so where, where, where's that happening then? It's uh, in North London. Um, right. I'll uh, send over the details as well, inshallah. It'd be great to, to promote that. And there's, um, I think, 15 to 20 people from Luton, but then a whole range of others as well, Muslim and non-Muslim that are participating in this. Right. Um, so it's an opportunity for them to reach out to their friends in a fun way and, and get others involved. Over Ramadan, we had Luton who held a quite big gala dinner to celebrate um, 80 years of the hospital um, and again they did, had a fantastic experience there where they um, reached out to a whole range of different businesses um, in a similar sort of fashion to us as well so but we're uh, using any and every method that we can online physical going out and building partnerships and then seeing how much we can drive it. Uh, uh, one question I've got brothers for last one for, for, for me is uh, media coverage has there, be, has there been any media coverage with, with regards to the helipad in association with you know the massages and some of the Muslim institutions getting you mean involved? the wider, wider media yeah wider media yeah yeah mainstream in fact we've had local media pick up on it um, right. I remember uh, we were at BBC three counties at the start okay that took place and the show took place off that. I, I don't think it's gone national media and we'd mm. love to do that. Mm. Um, but we want to hit our 90k. We want to we hit that. If we can get that 90k, inshallah, then I think we've got a fantastic story. Um, but absolutely, the, the involvement from all the different organizations, individuals, it's been absolutely phenomenal. 
So yes, uh, so I guess the message out there is is uh, uh, go to uh, helipad uh, hospital hospital, hospital org, org. right, yep. and then donate some money, inshallah. That's the, that's the key message. Yeah. Jazakallah khair, Ag, and and it would have been great actually if you came into the studio. We could have had a, a bigger discussion, but I, I hear you had some family uh, commitments. So Jazakallah khair for taking the time out and and uh, uh, talking about this great initiative, inshallah. Jazakallah khair. Barakallah fikum. Much appreciate. Thank you very much. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu Right. So, mashallah. So that that's the, the, the is that the last story we're covering this evening, uh, brother Zafar. Right. It's the last. Well, we we have a few minutes, so we, we, we can we, do we, a wrap up and summary, I guess. And and do you know actually when I, when I started off this this evening show, I said. Uh, uh, normally, you know, it's it's a bit of a challenge, and you think, okay, well, what what stories should we cover? But this week, in, in fact, there's been so many stories. Yeah, it's know, a case yeah. of actually choosing what story you want to cover, right? Mm. So I was I was discussing, uh, uh, kind of outlining earlier with regards to, you know, the UK arms sales to Saudi to Saudi, yeah, right? yeah. Uh, unlawful. The Court of Appeal declares, right? So that was a quite a, a leading story in the press this week, right? Uh, and this, of course, is on the back end of you know UK supplying these uh, arms sales to Saudi, and those then being used in, in, in you know in the, in the places like like yeah, Yemen, yeah, Yemen and, that's and, right, yeah. and so forth, right? Uh, and not 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 to mention, I don't know if you've been following. Uh, it's gonna, it's, it'll be interesting to get your your views on it. But then I don't know if you've been following the the Pakistan cricket team. Now the Pakistani rupee has done something that the Pakistani cricket team couldn't do. Which oh, he's gone up. He's scored two hundred runs. Right? Is, so is it, it two hundred already? Two 200 rupees to a pound. But, yeah, but that's I, you know that, that, that that's because. Now, uh, 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 is that the near Pakistan that we that, that we've been discussing for for the? Well, it's part, it's part, of, part of the IMF uh, funding deal, Pol- isn't it? Mm. To float to float the rupee to make it pegged to the dollar, yeah. uh, and and allow the markets to adjust its value. Yeah. So there, I guess there's I'm not an economist or anything like that. There's there's positives and negatives. Yeah. Uh, the positives are. Uh, if I can call them pos- positive, is that uh, hopefully it will make it easier for people who want to send money across. Uh, that a lot of the institutions might allow, like you know, the banking banks mm-hmm. and whatever, to allow you to. Because I was looking at some of the apps yesterday, and and you can send money to Zambia, but you can't send it to Pakistan. I wondered why. You know, what was what's the big de- what's the deal right. there? So yeah. it might allow you to sort of you know buy your using your app to send money to to Pakistan if you needed to. Yeah. But the other thing is is that uh, having. Uh, you know, having a, a kind of repeat pegged to the dollar, uh, I think has an impact on, on imports and exports, really. Mm-hmm. I think one, the, one of the key things that Imran Khan is trying to do is um, not have to go abroad to buy stuff because that requires dollars. Yeah, right? yeah. And then we're short of dollars in, in, in Pakistan, while mm-hmm. Pakistan is short of dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's trying to sort of, you know, tail off the high-end, high-value stuff that was coming to the country and using mm-hmm. up a lot of dollars. So, right. And I'm told... Uh, the the that deficit, the trade deficit, yeah. has has come down dramatically. You're talking about some like thirty or forty percent is there the gap but, between. But how, how how would the trade deficit come down? Because now surely when you're exporting, you're, you, it's it's a lot more difficult and it's a lot more expensive. Because exactly, your, your, your rupee is not worth exactly, not worth exactly, anything, right? exactly. So you're not bringing in so, the imports, sir. So, so you're not bringing in anything. Is that the way of actually controlling it then, right? Well, yeah, but absolutely. Yeah, it's it's relying on on the the, the, the Lo- local local produce. manufacturing, local manufacturing, local. Mm, mm. All right. So I'm I'm not I'm not too sure about that reverse engineering of of uh, 
of the econ- econ- economic. But what it uh, what it does mean, what is money? If you go I mean, to Pakistan, it, it does mean the fact that when you're sending money and and for us visiting Pakistan, so those are the families who are planning on visiting Pakistan in the summer. Of course, it's a field day for them because they got they they're taking back pounds and they're getting two hundred rupees for a pound. I mean, but, the, but then again, the inflation as well, so the money is being devalued. Is exactly, it? but but that's the other point, which is the cost of living for for the average individual there. Part of the IMF restructural programs, and then also these additional taxes that people are paying, and I'm not, I'm not uh, getting some very good vibes from from people actually, actually living in Pakistan. You know, the 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 in terms of the day and day to day needs, the cost of you know essential commodities, all the prices going up, and at the same but time, the, bo- the, bo- the bottom line is right that the countries mm. financially it's not functioning. Yeah. It's not paying. It's not uh, paying his electricity bills. Yeah. The, the the country is not paying the tax. Yeah. The normal things that you you think uh, uh, are required to run a, a state yeah. are not functioning properly, right? Mm-hmm. And so there has to be a bitter pill, mm. right? A bitter pill to swallow, mm. right? So that you can get the country on an even keel, right? So that you know it can progress going forward. And you can't keep doing that, right, by burying your head all the time. But, right? but wasn't it wasn't one of the pledges of Imran Khan that no no more IMF? Yeah, I know, I know, I know. So. Yeah, he's done a number of U-turns, right? <laughs> but right. the th- thing is, what what do you do, right? If you got you got less you got less in the country, right, than the account mm-hmm. of of Zardari. Mm-hmm. Zardari has more dollars, right, in his account, right, than the country has. So what yeah, do you what do you yeah, do? Yeah, well, well, there you go. One of those. So, so the fr- friends do donate a little bit, right? right. But that's a and, and what, what were your thoughts on the UK arms sales to Saudi Arabia? I mean, this is, uh, you know, it's not just the arms sales, is it? Is Earlier we were talking about Egypt, right? And we were talking about how they're complicit with, with these dictators, these tyrants in, in, across the, the, the Middle East. And it's not just Middle East, Africa, you know, internationally that you see. You know, the, the, the ethical, uh, the moral standing and the bearing of, of, of Western Bro, states. I, I, I mean, it's on, t- the, the, bo- the bottom line is, uh, this is this is in a way, uh, if I can say, window dressing. Yeah. It's window dressing to make the public feel good that yes, we We've are achieved something. Oh no, no, we we are we are actually very moral, mm. right? And we do think about these things. But the reality is, they'll find some way of doing it. Mm. That they can't give up on supplying arms, mm. right? For for two reasons. One is that they need to make to make sure that these regimes. Uh, stay in power, and yeah. they need the military hardware and a backing to stay in power. Mm. And secondly, uh, the the thing that drives uh, uh, Europe in America, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, in the world stage is their military strength. And military strength comes from arms productions, mm. right? The arms production <clears throat> is less and less funded, you know, by the countries themselves, and more and more export driven. If without the exports. Uh, these arms manufacturing industries won't survive, right? Mm-hmm. Particularly mm-hmm. in America. America is, you Absolutely. know, uh, so so if you didn't have that, so all of these stuff, right, is just to sort of appease the people and say, yeah, all right, you know, we're going to do something about it. But mm. the bottom line is Correct. it ain't going to stop. Yeah, it's yeah, you're stop. right. Like, like Trump said, you know, national interests come first, contracts come first, and, and as, as do the jobs and, and so on and so forth. Mm. Uh, which, which which brings me nicely onto Trump, actually, himself, because uh, Iran's been on well, the well. On, on, on the press, in, in, in the media, the drum beats have, have gone up, right? All the rhetoric is going up. A lot of commentators are now currently, you know, writing. It's just the writings on the wall with regards to a conflict, a war, you know, a, right, a war right. here. We, we've seen the military, you know, the U.S. military send out the naval ships out into into that sea. You know, Iran being accused of, you know, you know, attacking these oil, you know, oil tankers, right? What's well, going you, on? Well, well, the thing is, 
And I think for, uh, for a long time, mm. obviously everyone criticizes uh, Trump, but I think he's made one decision today, mm. right? In some ways, that's won a little bit of respect from me, at least anyway. All right? what, was it, what was that? Which, which is he, he had actually, uh, the, there was a retaliation planned, yeah. right? For the downing of the dro- drone. Yeah. A number of targets have been selected. The, the, the retaliation force, the Air Force and whatever is ready to go. And 10 minutes before he stopped he, it, he stopped it mm. right? And the reason I think he stopped it is because the reason the Americans are there in the first place is there are the, the tankers had been attacked, mm. right? And the implications is that the, the Iranians are attacking these tankers. Mm. But you've got, you got, you got two uh, possibilities, right? Yeah. One is they're, they're kind of like false flag attacks yeah. designed to draw America into a war with Iran, mm. right? Or... Iran is actually doing it themselves, right? Mm. So it's, I guess, you know, there's been a number of cases and the last tanker that was attacked, there was some video footages or whatever, whatever, yeah, right? Yeah. Iran denied it, we didn't do it, right? They were mm. trying to help or whatever. Mm. Uh, now this, right? Mm. You know, this is kind of like escalating it to the next level. Like, okay, beforehand, it wasn't the American, uh, Americans themselves that were targeted. Now America is targeted. Mm. So I guess in Trump's mind, he's probably weighing up is it a false flag attack, right, designed to draw America into a war with Iran? Yeah. Or is it actually Iran doing this? I mean, Iran has actually accepted the fact that they're down the, 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 uh, drone. the drone, but they said it was, it was in their airspace. Yeah. Uh, and I guess there's a counter, <coughs> counterclaim to say that it, you know, it wasn't in their airspace. Yeah, so, yeah. so I think, you know, he, he's put, but, you know, having a war with Iran, right, is not like having a war with Iraq mm. or mm. Uh, or Syria. This is this is a major decision, right? That that America needs to make, and so I think I, I think we'll, we'll have to make it a topic of discussion potentially next week, possibly. Absolutely. Uh, but definitely, uh, it, things are heating up. Uh, so something for us to watch and something for us to discuss in the in the future shows, inshallah. Ta'ala. I think we're coming towards the end, brother Zafar. Do you yeah, want we're to, we're do coming close to the end. You, you sign us out because no, no, you, you started you, it. You, you sign us out. You're sitting in the hot seat, Marshall. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the honor well, of signing signing Jazak, us out. Jazak, well, thank you. Well, listeners, I hope you enjoyed the, the subjects, the, the topics we discussed today. Uh, we had a range of opinions. We had a range of opinions from experts from around the world, and hopefully you enjoyed them. Uh, we do like you to uh, ring, call in and take part because that kind of adds to the value. It gives us an indication that you are listening and we're not just talking into a, a mic uh, and emptiness. Uh, but anyway, inshallah, uh, until next time, Jazakallah for listening. Yep. Assalamu alaikum. And next week, inshallah, we'll, we'll have another set of decent topics for you to, to listen to, inshallah. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We stream our daily broadcast on inspirefm.org. You'll find all our daily updates on our social media at InspireFM Luton.